This is Raw Cut. Do you like to dance? Today on Life First, we have two special guests who certainly do and are going to share that with you. This is Life Best. I'm Sarah. And I'm Matt. It's great to have you with us for another episode of the show. Now, I'm going to start off by talking to Dan. Dan the Dancing Man. Is that, is that what they call you, Dan? Yeah, pretty much. Okay. Or, or just Dancing Dan. Dancing Dan. Excellent. Okay. We've Dancing also got, Dan. we should acknowledge, we've got Justin, Justin in the studio as well. We'll hear a bit more of some of his story later on. Now, I'm going to start with the obvious what's on your shirts. Yeah. <laughs> What's going on here? Freestyle dance ministry. Okay. What is that? Well, if you keep watching, you might find out a little oh, bit later. Okay. Yeah. There's a teaser. Suspense. Very teaser. good. I like that. Okay. Where did life begin for you, Dan? Mm-hmm. Well, actually, Sarah, um, quite similar to yourself. Um, I grew up on a farm in McLean Flat near Achunga, mm-hmm. so south of Adelaide. And I had pretty much everything like catered for me, everything that a child could need or want and to have the healthiest and happiest life. Um, three brothers, a lot of land to wrestle and make cubbies and play and all these kind of things. Um, loving parents, a great community, opportunities for sport, a cute little primary school that um, was very catering to our needs. Um, so life started pretty perfectly, actually. Right. Yeah. Do you have some great stories of those growing up years? It uh, sounds like a little bit of a country setting. Mm. <laughs> so possibly the freedom to do some things that city kids don't get to do. Yeah. <laughs> like as our front dam, so the one in front of the house was mm-hmm. um, drying up um, at the beginning of summer. And it was leaving um, a residue of um, a bit of water, but a lot of mud. Uh-huh. And so there'd be times where we would ship down to our jocks and go for like mud fights and like completely cover ourselves head to toe with this cakey, icky mud and then fling it at whoever came near, right. including our parents. Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, we may have gotten in trouble for that. Yeah, right. I'd imagine so. <laughs> yeah, but you, can't, you can't not, you know, when it's right there. Well, that's right. It's too tempting. What other things did you get up to with your brothers? Well, playing armies out in the scrubland. And we would build these little like, teepees or um, out of uh, sticks and got these secateurs and make paths through um, these thorny bushes. And so occasionally we'd get spiked, but it was worth the effort <laughs> because the results were these secret tunnels that could like launch us right near the enemy base. Uh-huh. Um, and so right. when it got dark, I would get our camo on, it would dress up in black and we'll go for it. Amazing. So it's a real uh, beating the bush boy activities as a kid. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, like, I wasn't the bravest kid, though. Like, <laughs> I was often scared of um, like a lot of different things in life. Um, and, like, I would keep my distance like, very far from playing footy because I was small, timid, shy, and I just figured that if I was out on the field, I'd get crushed. Um, and... Uh, even motorbikes, even like I had a bit of a love-hate relationship with them because we had a Pee Wee 80, but when I was a little kid, that was quite big 
and it had a power band on it. And so if you just held it in the one spot, it'd like and just take off a couple right. of close calls, some injured and parts like fingers and legs and things. But all in all, it's a great place to grow up. Yeah, right. So sport possibly wasn't your thing then. Did you have interests back as a kid, things that you really loved to do um, outside of playing with your brothers? Mm. Well, there probably wasn't like too much outside of family life mm. because we did a lot together. Mm. Um, and But yeah, I, I did like bits and pieces. Like, I guess in like most facets um, like of life, in the creative and um, art, craft and um, music, um, I did um, like tennis and a bit of sport here and there. Um, I wasn't the most competitive though, um, but I did enjoy running around. What did your parents do when you were growing up, living in McLaren? Um, a lot of time looking after us, <laughs> rounding us up. <laughs> um, now they were like very supportive and um, very loving and um, very catering to opportunities and and events like actually perhaps well it's a bit funny like i think um out of my parents the the one who is like most like romantic in like for the family and um, was my father because he would take us all out on these dates um as a family where we'd go for a bushwalk or we'll go for a camping trip um and it was I didn't realize it until like maybe 20 years later, but that was a very special thing that he did. He would um, plan out all of these times and like prepare with uh, snacks and um, with um, and the routes that we're going to take to get here and there. And um, we had like the best memories from that, like breathing in uh, the natural air, like bonding as a family. And us kids, like we wouldn't know where we'd be going, but we'd know that it would be good. Mm-hmm. You had that trust in your family and that relationship mm. and their bonds that will never leave you mm. because of that. What else did you get up to outside of school and failing with motorbikes and not wanting mm-hmm. to play sport? Yeah. Well, um, yeah, like, like the trust and like the bond of family, I was really tight. Um, so I didn't want to do or venture too much outside of that. Mm. And, mm-hmm. and being like quite shy and like definitely on the shy end as a child. Um, I was uh, timid about trying new things. Um, but if my brothers were into it or my parents strongly suggested it, like playing the piano, even though I wanted to give up. But after a while I found a groove and, and just doing tinkling myself and making up songs and I realized, Oh yeah, this is cool. I enjoy mm-hmm. this. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I was, I was ambitious. Always, um, I had lots of ideas bit of our ideas man and um, not the most practical though um, and so after I finished school I embarked on an engineering degree right. um, and I pretty much completed like most of the first year and um, but then life took a bit of a different turn one which I didn't want nor expected and what was that what happened well um, my health declined right. um, um, as you know the field Sarah and um, it was a gradual decline. At first, I just noticed that I couldn't like focus in or be as attentive with my studies as I would have liked to. And, and I think like feeling a bit a bit lost, perhaps a bit directionless. Like it was, I was out in the adult world and growing up in such a safe bubble, like on this like rural property, and having everything like catered for me. And me 
now, now having to um, to grasp the bull by the horns and to pave the way for myself. Mm. Um, I was kind of failing uh, with that, but also an underlying health issue, which I didn't know what what it was at the time. Wow. What was happening? What changed? And how did you find out exactly what was going on? Mm. Well, I started feeling quite despondent because I was always a very high achiever and I would get um, you're pretty sad if I, I even just got a B. I wanted to always like hit the top marks. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought, well, maybe like my vision is failing. Perhaps I need to, um, like my vision of my future, perhaps I need to like change courses. But I tried that, got into a different university, but it didn't fix things. And I just wanted to be fixed. I just wanted to be back to my usual self. And my brothers are growing up. There's different dynamics with the family. There's some like strains and pressures that the family were now um, enduring. And so I didn't feel as like hugged into that or nestled. And it's like, oh, I've got to, I've got to search something out. Um, and like together with my parents' help, we um, visited naturopaths, doctors, trying to get the root cause of what was ailing me. But could never really pinpoint something. Um, then about a year and a half later, like that's when my life changed uh, dramatically, a big chasm formed and would always be known as a before and after moment because um, I, I just broke. Okay, we totally have to stop there and go to a break because I really, really love this. And you guys did the suspense thing before, so now I get to do it. We'll be back with more of Life Best with Matt and Sarah straight after this. If you like what you're hearing, please write a review of this podcast on your podcasting app. Or you can share this on social media. This is Life Bus with Matt and Sarah. We're having a chat with Dan and I have turned back and done what they did to the rest of you on them. So we've left at this really suspenseful part. Something happened and then everything changed. What changed? Take us all the journey. Mm. Well, what I had in this moment um, was a crisis. It was a mental, emotional, spiritual, physical breakdown. Wow. I lost about 90% of my capacity and probably about 98% of my childhood memories. I was stuck in this very narrow mental window where I couldn't figure things out. I had constant paranoia and anxiety. I lost my identity of who I was and I could barely function. Like my motor function was very poor. Even like communicating with others, um, I could barely manage. Um, sometimes I just couldn't even get the words out. And I didn't know what was happening around me. I lost my grip on the world. And it seemed as though every bit of information was just floating in the air. I didn't know how it was placed. And I didn't know where to put it. I didn't know how to make sense of it. Mm-hmm. It was quite a sudden um, like chasm that was caused in my life. And I thought I'd never be normally functionable ever again. Wow. Is there a name that they put to that, what you were feeling and what was happening? There's been lots of different like names and diagnoses which mm-hmm. um, which people have like grappled with. And um, and sometimes I'll like, wear them a bit like as stickers on me, but then feeling as, as though I was being identified by that or because of that, like it was difficult at times. Mm-hmm. And be- because it, it is quite a vague 
a difficult thing to explain. And there's lots of different names it could be, but I call it just a complete breakdown. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Wow. So life completely changed for you in that moment. You lost 90% of your energy, but at a certain point, um, yeah. How did, how did you grapple with that? Uh, how did you um, come through that and start to see light again? And mm. I want to add something on top of that. Yeah. How old were you? Ah, okay. Yeah. So yeah, I was about 19. Okay. Yeah. And in answer to your question, um, basically not well. Mm, okay. <laughs> like, I didn't cope well. Mm. Um, I, like nothing I did from that point was was neat and tidy like right. my life beforehand and right. um, I wasn't um, determined or I didn't have um, this strength within me like I was very vulnerable weak and um, I hated the position I was at and I hated myself so I was in a very dark place and my journey in recovery um, was just as messy I was literally stumbling fumbling tumbling along and trying to get back to where I was before, to find my strength, to remember who I was, to regain capacity. But I was grappling in the dark so much. And it took a very long time for me to come to terms with what had happened. I just wanted to be rescued, to be like plucked up and placed somewhere else. Mm. And every night before going to bed, I would walk outside, even in the, on the chillest of nights in winter, and look up at the stars and be like, God, are you there? I need your help. <laughs> Come rescue me. And I felt as though my words were just fading off mm-hmm. and for a long time unlistened to, unheard. <laughs> and then, like, God, I believe, has a bit of a cheeky sense of humour. Um, and in the way in which I wanted him um, to respond to me, and um, he didn't. He didn't just pluck me up and place me and with everything rosy and perfect again. That's too easy. <laughs> yeah. That's right. yeah. Uh, well, exa- actually, that's exactly right. He, he dignified me with an opportunity to walking through the hardship mm-hmm. and to becoming stronger, journeying with him and with others and finding... Um, aspects of his character and seeing in other people and within myself. And so basically he, was, he gave me an invitation to walk with to walk with him and it wasn't going to be easy and it wasn't and it was hard and it was fraught with even like more pitfalls and dangers and traumas. But I, I've gotten through, well, at least most part. Mm. I still walk metaphorically with a limp. And I struggle on a daily basis, Um, but there's greater like freedom that I experience now. Wow. So what kind of uh, period, I know you say you're still walking with a limp, but what kind of period of time are we talking where you really were were down and out? Um, Are we talking weeks, months, years, uh, where um, until you got that that sense that you're going to get through? Mm. Yeah, thanks for asking about context. I always leave things out. No, that's, yeah. <laughs> okay. So it's about um, five years where I was right. like, completely out of action, mm-hmm. um, housebound. I lost like most of my friends and uh, I couldn't study. I couldn't achieve anything. 
um, I was in a pit of depression for um, all of that time. Yeah. And I hating life and um, and beating up on myself a lot. Um, and it wasn't until, um, yeah, I, my parents were planning to um, make a sea change up to Queensland. And, and I figured, well, perhaps this is a good like, breaking point for me to, um, you know, to fly out of the nest at the bipolar age of 25 or something <laughs> and moved into a bachelor pad, which was, must have been quite comical for the others, <laughs> the other four guys, because, yeah, I was quite a dysfunctional mess and I'd grown up in a bubble and I didn't really know how the world operated. I was very naive. And, and very hurting and very broken. But, but a few of them in particular have stuck, stuck at it with me for the long haul. Mm. And they saw something in me which I didn't. And that's basically has been what I can testify so often is that um, many people have um, spoken encouragement and strengthened to what they can see deeper in, um, even when I can't. Wow. Right, we, we all work together with our different gifts and our different abilities to be able to bring hope to others who might be in those dark places. How did you know you were in those dark places? How did you feel what was going on inside your head and inside your body? Mm. Yeah, well, good question. Um, I, growing up, I, like I mentioned, having everything provided for me on a super platter and I... I was very blessed. I was very fortunate. But along with that, um, I was also very naive and even arrogant and self-righteous because I was an easygoing kid, friendly, like kind, but a lot of that was on the surface. A lot of that was me projecting because I wanted to be seen as like the good kid, Mm -hmm. like ticking the boxes, doing well, because people would be pleased with me. And that became part of my identity, which was a bit misplaced. And and so I would try to perform to fulfill that. But it wasn't until everything crashed around me and I got to see little bits within my heart that were actually dark, and that were judgmental or condemning of others. And, and I was confronted with the fact that I'm actually not like that good kid that I always thought I was that I need um, God's grace just as much as anyone else. and But I found it so hard to receive forgiveness as, from others and from my maker. I, I felt as though I was worthy for the sickness and worthy for the darkness that was enveloping me because for the first time um, I'd become like, familiar, like the doors of my heart were opened and I realised, gosh, I, I don't like that. That's ugly what I see. How did you overcome that? Well, that definitely wasn't in a one-off event. And it was learning the art of, of receiving forgiveness. And I think the persistence um, of others um, in offering that and in their unconditional love in accepting me and receiving me and in my broken state and in my mess. Um, but I guess I was quite stubborn and quite, I was a bit of a hard case to crack. Um, 
Yeah, because growing up in a space where I thought, oh yeah, I'm great. Like I'd be an example to what a good person is like. And, and but then realizing that, no, I'm not, I, I'm not that good person. I'm just like everyone else. And um, I don't like what I see. Mm. Um, yeah, others saw something in me that I didn't. Mm. That's beautiful. Yeah. Well, thanks for your honesty. This is Life Verse. Uh, we are chatting to uh, Dan, and uh, there's more to come. Hey, did you know this show is available in video too? You can find it at rawcut.com.au. This is Life Verse with Martin and Sarah. Dan, you have taken us on a very deep journey into how you were feeling. And we've talked about sort of how you came out of that, sort of, kind of, we've covered it a little bit. But how did your life shift and change once you started to see the light, I suppose, out of the darkness? Hmm. Yeah, well put. I thought that my life would be going this way. Mm-hmm. And I wanted, well, I had lots of ambitions, like dreams and things that I thought I would be able to achieve. Um, you're being very ambitious and... Um, but it can, went in the complete opposite direction. What were those dreams and ambitions and goals that you had on this path, on this path, yeah? Well, I wanted to make, like, big changes in the world for the better, particularly in developing countries and managing water resources. And so I went into civil and environmental engineering at mm-hmm. Adelaide Uni. Mm-hmm. And um, the physics and the maths was a bit harder than I thought. But I was looking to being out on the field Um but I never would have picked and this other uh, route which um, um, I was forced to go down. But um, now I can say that I'm, I'm glad I did because when this crisis happened, when this chasm like, split my life in two, um, it was the worst thing that could have happened to me but also the best thing because it broke me down which meant it broke down my self-righteousness, my judgmentalism, how I thought that I was like superior or at least better than, than others. Mm-hmm. It humbled me. And um, a bit like rocks, when they're ground up, it becomes like nutritious um, matter for plants to grow in. Mm-hmm. And so there were some seeds that were planted within this fertile soil of my soul. Um, it took me on a weird and wonderful path. Like particularly when I was 27 years old, I was in a prayer meeting because all I wanted to do was just connect to my heavenly daddy. But I couldn't use words because they're all tangled up inside of me with the trauma. It was locked in different compartments. Or a sentence was a bit like a piece of string that a kitten had played with for two hours which is all tangled and messy and Mm -hmm. who can be bothered to untangle that and that's how I was feeling and so I couldn't pray anything I couldn't use words to articulate but then this strange thing happened after my despondency about not being able to participate and after feeling even more rejected I allowed myself to be quiet in my spirit and just to listen a bit, to incline myself to the atmosphere around me, which was beautiful because there was a couple of people playing acoustic guitar and singing. Mm-hmm. 
after a bit of time, I felt this peace and love kind of like wrap over me and it quelled my spirit. And it led naturally, spontaneously, with my arms moving in response to the music, just gently and artfully a bit like this. And I was thinking, this is a bit weird. <laughs> like, what's kind of happening? Like, I could control it. I could stop it. But I didn't want to because for the first time in years, I felt a connection to my heavenly maker. Like, I felt that God heard me. and He was listening and he was there with me. So that actually was the seed within my fertile, broken up soul that first birthed this gift of dance. Right. Okay. Right. I want to know more about this prayer meeting and these people. So were there people praying for you during this time? Were there people around you who were helping you in this way to help you get out of this dark place for this thing to happen that you didn't want to stop but was happening anyway yeah yeah well it was a nurturing environment and i didn't know i don't think i knew any of them like very closely or very okay. well yeah but it was a space that everyone was welcome and any age and um, and from any background and and so i did feel welcomed and i did feel supported i did feel that I could be expressive, even in like weird ways, without being judged. Even though at that stage I was kind of over um, feeling too self-conscious because my mess and my brokenness would leak out of me in everyday life anyhow. And so I was used to being people remarking about that or feeling judged by that. And, and because I was in such a hard place, which I really wanted to get out of, I'd be willing to do more radical things, like to break through that, because life sucked a pretty big time, mm. and there were some golden moments within that. Particularly, like well, pretty much always when there would be personal connections with others. In fact, um, one of the things which I hold like most dearest and nearest to my heart is um, the gift of empathy, and in truly. Like feeling and hearing how someone else is going. Um, and it all started when someone came to sit next to me when I was at a swimming pool. And I was feeling pretty despondent. Um, I was feeling a bit too cold to go in for a swim. But, but, and I was a bit surprised that they would even want to come sit next to me. It's like, don't you know that I'm a bit worthless? Like, I don't have any value. My self-esteem is right down there. Why'd you sit next to me? Mm. But they just started to open up. They wanted to share. And I felt valued and I felt as though I had some worth. Well, I must be a worthy human being if they're talking to me. And so I was using my ears. Then after hearing this story, I was moved. And so naturally tears came rolling down my face. And I love it. Empathy, ears and tears. Mm, yeah, beautiful. So back to the dance. So you, you had this experience of movement as a prayer, really, and a connection. Um, did you immediately go from there and think, right, I'm going to explore this and take this and, and do something with it? Or how did you evolve into, uh, well, a step towards where you are today and your love for dance? Mm, a great question. Mm. Well, this is one of the things which I did take the bull by both horns. Right, yeah. <laughs> I'm yeah. like, sweet, a connection. <laughs> 
something which I feel like I can express how I'm feeling and without too much effort because everything in my in my life at that stage was hard going and a big effort nothing came easy whether it was like diet or how I'd get through the day even um but when I began dancing or even just moving my body it was like my mind was in neutral and my spirit my soul was in gear and I felt free and so I thought sweet I'm just going to grab every opportunity I can and just dance away and which included predominantly like prayer meetings and church services and also if I couldn't sleep at night I put my headphones in and bust some moves and at that time I was like living in a, a communal housing like a mission base and the place where I chose to dance had like windows that didn't have any blinds or curtains to the outside and I think there were some who also couldn't sleep and walk by going what is this guy doing <laughs> <laughs> I'm just sad that they didn't come join me <laughs> to have a silent disco. <laughs> what did people think at church of you dancing? Like, what type of church was it? Well, another good question. Like, there was a lot of mixed responses okay. and, like, quite polarised. And and at the time, like, I didn't have stable accommodation and my life was in a constant state of flux. And so I was living, um, like, couch surfing or a bit here and there. Mm-hmm. And... So I would, um, like wherever I was staying, I would like visit um, a church and, and participate there. And some people really appreciated um, me being involved um, and others um, perhaps didn't think it was appropriate me worshipping in that way. Mm. And how did you tolerate that? Well, um, should you throw in another suspense? Find out after the break. That's yeah, okay. Idea. We did hear that. This is the life verse of Matt and Sarah. We'll be back straight after this. In Australia, juvenile arthritis affects one in 1,000 children. It's a silent yet common condition. Kids Arthritis is here to help support these children and their families. To help them, go to kidsarthritis.org. This has been a Raw Cut Community Service Announcement. This is Life First and we're chatting to Dan. And Dan, I think uh, most of us have seen people who love dance and dance is appreciated by some in society and others, um, as you've kind of alluded to, find it a little bit unusual or out of out of place. Uh, you've experienced that in churches, as you were saying as well, as you, uh, you took prayer and, you know, I guess, worship into dance became more a part of your life how did, how did that pan out in different places and how did you grow confidence to push on with that mm. yeah that was another example where like things weren't like neat and tidy mm. and straightforward there was a lot of navigating and a lot of like lessons and things that i was learning because it was a bit like I was given dance as a Christmas present. And as a kid, being so excited, I was unwrapping it and learning about it, exploring it and feeling free, like playing with this new new toy, like, and which dance was for me. But also, like, children like, can be um, a little over-enthusiastic at times or there may be, like, the right times and contexts, like, for things to be um, expressed. So I was navigating the dynamics 
and where there would be spaces that were appropriate um, and perhaps where it wasn't. Because um, even though I have come to understand even greater that um, that dance like is um, a beautiful and fun and vibrant um, expression of worship, um, there is nothing that trumps love for another. And I realised that if I am causing like someone um, like offence or... Um, or taking away from like their time of worship in their space, and particularly if they've asked me or if they've asked someone else, and um, that if I could um, dance elsewhere, or then then I realised that that is um, really what Jesus would prefer is for me to be considerate of others above my own desire, because I could I could dance anywhere anytime. I don't have to dance in particular space, and and but at this time I was a bit like a man on a mission and thinking, oh, wow, this is so much freedom which this dancing is bringing. And perhaps I need to reject this and I have to like, speak out my story and make it known. Um, and perhaps I was a little zealous of that. And, but I've been learning to be more in- inclining my, my ear to others and being more sensitive to how, how others around me are feeling. And in fact, now... Um, Predominantly in worship spaces, I feel drawn and led to be on my knees and in prayer. And sometimes it may come out in a dance, but I haven't gone in with the presumption that I'll be either energetic or very expressive. But I want to be led by God as he's the one who gave the gift to me. I want to steward it well. Mm-hmm. So coming back to what you were hoping to do with, with life, your big dreams about changing the world and, and uh, helping those overseas through engineering, that, that had all grounds to a halt through, uh, through what you went through. But as you were emerging from this and dance was becoming part of life, uh, how did you, what did, what did life look like for you now in the day-to-day? Um, I'm imagining not uh, that you just danced every moment and that uh, that's, that's how it continued. What did you do to fill your days? Mm. Well, yeah, because I, I did love to take every opportunity to dance mm. if I could. But, of course, that it wasn't my vocation mm. and it wasn't um, my job at the time. Um, and it was um, empathy. I was, like, tapping into a lot and, and looking for opportunities um, and that I could, like, connect with others because I was still in a very broken place. And I am um, still um, like, unable like, to hold down a job. I'll do bits and pieces of work here and there, but um, my energy being so fluctuating and so unpredictable, um, um, yeah, I wasn't too functionable. Um, but with the energy and the joy that it did have, I did want to like, share and connect. Mm. And so I'd often volunteer um, within the church community and also outside as well. And be available if people needed help or a listening ear. And um, so whether I was um, a dorm leader at a camp or um, having chats and supporting someone who I bumped into um, out in the parklands who didn't have permanent shelter, um, then I would just offer a comfort and friendship. Because um, having no one what it was like to be alone and feeling pretty down. Um, I 
I realized that really life is at its fullest in the company of others and in sharing that. And it didn't matter who it was. Um, I had friends of like every age and every background and whether uh, flourishing in life or feeling like me that they couldn't get a handle or grip on it. I love journeying with people. Where were your parents and the rest of your family while you were on this journey? Mm. Well, they were um, very closely attentive um, to my heart and um, to what I was going through. Mm-hmm. Um, my parents were up in Queensland, which is probably like a safe buffer for them because if they knew all the things that I was doing, they would probably freak them out. I learned how to have a good parent filter <laughs> right. because some of my adventures in journeying with people um, um, were quite precarious and were um, unexpected to me, um, but not without their dangers. And um, there were a lot of learning curves which I went through and which I'm like, grateful, which I now know a bit more wisdom, but um, but not regretful that I had journeyed with them. Um, but yeah, my brothers, we still love catching up. Um, like we're close, we have that strong bond and that trust from those formative years, mm. um, which we all hold precious. Mm. Wow, well, uh, what quite an incredible story! Yeah, I, I love that. There's uh, there's a real depth to what you're sharing that you're you're digging into deep and real maturity uh, that's come through um, having walked through the tough stuff. That you can you can see that in your empathy. It comes out as well. Um, have you got any stories without using their names of the of, of uh, people that just through you being you and in the right place, people you've been able to help, uh, having that empathy that uh, you know their life was impacted in a positive way with the parent filter on. Yes, <laughs> they're probably watching. Sure. <laughs> well, there's one that actually dovetails in with dancing, right. okay. and also what I've learned is that. Um, this gift of dance, because it was given to me. And I don't want to demand like how, when I use it, I also want to be led by opportunities and that if um, God leads me that way. Mm-hmm. And there have been some times, I was actually at my um, brother's house playing board games, and both of you know him, um, up in Mount Barker. And I was due to go home where I was living at the time in Victor Harbour. And and the, the natural way to drive back would be through the hills, the country. But as I left my brother's house, I had this, just this feeling, this sense that I should um, detour an hour extra to go by the city. And I had no idea why. And I thought, well, that's a silly thought. But I always give myself permission to pause. So I turned the car off, parked it, and, and just sat there for about half an hour going, hey, God, is this one of your ideas? Or is this just a silly idea that I should have just put, moved to the, the trash can? Mm-hmm. I wasn't too sure, but I thought, but if it is one of your ideas, I don't want to miss it. So I did proceed to drive down to the city. And as I did, my energy started picking up. So this was a 11 p.m. Um, on a Tuesday night. Okay, good to clarify that. <laughs> yeah, a bit of context. Yeah. Um, and, you know, nothing much happens 11 p.m. on a Tuesday night in Adelaide, as you know. Um, and... I was thinking, what is my adventure tonight? And I was getting really nervous yeah. because I didn't know the blueprint. I didn't know the plans. But I parked my car in the CBD 
and I had my Bluetooth speaker with me and I thought, may as well take that. And I had this dancing energy pick up. But then I felt, I just had this feeling, I needed to dance up the main mall of Adelaide, Rundle Mall, um, to tunes. I'm like, how in public when it's not called for by myself at night and it's a bit of a ghost town anyway, like, no. <laughs> and I yeah, so did yeah, not want yeah, to do that. Yeah, yeah. But because I felt led to, and I'm like, this is an opportunity where I can choose to overcome my own self-consciousness yeah. and being insecure. And so turned on my Bluetooth speaker. Yeah. And as soon as I hit play, all the fear left. And I just started dancing around the mall. Didn't know why. Yeah. Until I got to the other end. And there's an, an older man who was limping. He was very discouraged. And he seemed to have had a pretty heavy and um, like rough life. Mm-hmm. And, and worn out. But when he saw me dancing, the, a smile was turned on his dial and we locked eyes and we just exchanged a bit of joy. And in that moment, I realised that my Heavenly Father would detour me an hour out of my way on a Tuesday night just simply to put a smile on someone's face. Mm. And I was pretty impacted by that. That's mm. really powerful. Mm. That's that really goes powerful. to show how much like, God loves each one mm. of us. Mm. Yeah. Right. Wow. Very powerful. And we are going to hear from the other gentleman sitting next to Dan and the story of this ministry dancing thing yeah, all yeah. come together. Okay, you can do the thing. Do the thing. Oh, yeah. Raw Cut is also on social media. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter with the handle Raw Cut AU. This is Life Mass with Matt and Sarah. Now, Dan, who did? How did you meet the person sitting next to you? Jumping Justin. <laughs> Jumping just sorry, Jumping Justin. Yeah, dancing Dan, Jumping Justin. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> our crew names. Excellent. Nice. Okay, how did you meet each other? Well, it kind of like followed on from and my previous vocation, which was simply just being available and like volunteering in bits and pieces here and there. And so I was down in Victoria and out in the country, kind of in the middle of na- nowhere, and Haywood, which is kind of near Portland. Right. Yeah. And um, to support it, it, to support family friends over there um, who had lost a loved one. And the next day, um, I, Justin was taking workshops at a primary school in Portland. And I thought, well, I'm in the area and I may as well go check one out. Because um, we met on a youth camp up in Queensland a couple of years prior and we exchanged each other's numbers. It was like, hey, you like dancing, so do you. We should keep in touch, see what might come of it. Um, and, you know, time had passed. And But then he'd and give me a heads up a bit of his itinerary and I thought, oh, yeah, well, I could I could just check it out. Um, I didn't realise I'd be kind of be given a bit of a role as we went to like check out the workshop. Right, okay. <laughs> and I was like learning the dance on the spot with the kids and then facilitating a small group. Oh, I'm like, okay. okay, what am I doing? My wow. Is? Well done, yeah. Justin. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Got to put him to work, yeah. yeah that's right. <laughs> if he's willing. That's right. He's a good leader. Right. <laughs> but yeah, I feel like honoured and, and even more than that, like it was so fun. And I realised, I want to do more of this. 
And because Justin had arranged to be um, like going on this like dance tour around Australia, like with mm. someone else, they had just recently fallen through. So there was a space in the van, like a seat spare for me. And so when I heard about that, I'm like, hey, like, can I join? <laughs> I can't remember if I like volunteered or if he asked me, but either way, it was a mutual agreement that. So it's checking it out one day, then hopping on board the next, literally, and going in a, going around Australia six months from there. Wow. Okay. Right. Justin, what did you think of Dan and how did you trust him so easily? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, this, well, this is a funny thing is when I, when I remember meeting Dan, I remember meeting him in the dance circle. So we were at a camp with maybe five or 600 other people, yeah. uh, maybe 400 youth and 100, 200 leaders helping out with this camp. So we weren't yeah. camping per se, but where there was a dorm arrangement, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, Dan really stood out because I, I saw him dancing um, mm-hmm. in a bit of a circle in between uh, there were there were people speaking, you know. And so we come into a main hall, listen to someone to to speak, yeah. and then uh, in the I suppose interim, um, Dan obviously had a bit of a, a bit of energy that had to come out, and so Dan um, got his got his speakers out and was dancing. And I remember thinking, wow, this this guy is just I've never seen someone dance like him before <laughs> because it was so original, you know. Like he, he was dancing. As Dan. Dan was dancing. Mm-hmm. And I, I remember him dancing. And I'm pretty sure I got in there afterwards and busted a few moves yeah, you did. To, to let him know that <laughs> I danced too. And the, the, Don't you come the, in this space. That's <laughs> right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, yeah, we, we had a, a, we'd call that an exchange in the hip hop world. Okay. We had, we had an exchange. An exchange. And in, in the cypher, in the, in the dance circle. Um, oh, all these hip words we're yeah, learning, Matt. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. So, uh, and then, yeah, we just got talking and uh, we kind of, I think we even met up the year afterwards at the same camp. And uh, and then, yeah, I, I gave Dan a call um, before he hit the road. So, this was back in uh in 2019, in May, so just over two years ago now. Yeah. And I uh, said, Dan, oh, look, you know, I'm going to be in Western Victoria. And um, so you just just come check it out, you know. And I just knew, I, I didn't know much about Dan at the time. I just knew he was in a dance, seemed like an all right kind of guy, <laughs> seemed pretty energetic, so something kids might get into. And, uh, yeah, I just thought, oh, let's, um, yeah, let's uh, let's get together and see what we can do. And we, we met at a cafe in Portland and I said, here, I put this T-shirt on. <laughs> And, uh, you know, it's just 10 minutes down the road, just follow me. And um, and then I said, I'm pretty sure in the car, and I said, oh, hey, like, you should totally, like, share a bit of a testimony today if you're feeling it. Like, you know, we'll just kind of see how it goes. And so, uh, yeah, we're at, um, yeah, it's uh, just a little Lutheran school in, in Portland. And, um, and yeah, I'm pretty sure we were just packing up the sound gear afterwards, and I was I was even showing him, I was, so just so you know, this goes here, and almost with the assumption that he was going to be sticking around. <laughs> And he was kind of like, oh, so, you know, what are you, uh, yeah, what are you doing for the next few months? And I said, oh, well, actually, yeah, you should, uh, yeah, like, come along. I, yeah, um, this is what we're going to do. And he was like, oh, awesome. And I was like, yeah, well, I suppose that's it. Wow. <laughs> and so, uh, yeah, we it kind of, uh, you know, it wasn't, uh, there was a lot of things to learn and we're still learning a lot about each other and life on the road and how to do that practically, logistically. Um, and, uh, and, yeah, because Dan still had his car at the time. And so we were kind of trying to coordinate how this was going to work. And Dan, like, he, he yeah, as, as a, as a uh, I suppose, so to speak, he packed up his life, yeah, overnight. And uh, so we we headed west, uh, yeah, into Adelaide, actually, and um, over the coming months. And, yeah, we're on the road to about October, November in, in 2019. Right. Yeah. Now, you've got the shirts. I assume that's the, the ministry 
That's right, freestyle dance. They're already industry. doing it. That's yes. the shirt that he had to put on, and he's stuck with it since. That's right. Well, these actually these are these are new. These oh, are later. Okay. Yeah, we didn't have anything quite as jazzy as this at the time. <laughs> they were just a standard T. Uh, yeah, standard standard white T, and. Uh, uh, and yeah, so and here we go. Yeah, so Dan actually was a mate of uh, Dan's own, Arian. Shout out to Arian. Yeah, <laughs> helping us out with it, these teas. They're a bit, they're a bit less. You know, they're not sweat or whatever. It's sweat wicking, is it? Are yeah, sure? <laughs> yeah. So and they're a bit easier to wash and dry and da da da. So, no, there we go. <laughs> Wonderful. Thank you for your information about your t-shirts. <laughs> and we will hear more of your story next time as well which i'm really looking forward to mm. as well thanks so, justin yeah mm. thank you for sharing that inside of dan mm. now dan in the final couple of minutes of the show if you had one piece of advice to share with those today what would that be mm. it would be yeah. that suffering isn't your enemy like it hurts like no one loves it um, you can hate on it, um, like it's not comfortable, and it shouldn't be. Like suffering sucks, but as it has done for my life, it was the vehicle or the mechanism to crush down these rocks that were stuck in my flow of yeah, being condemning of others, being self-righteous and pious, things like that, so that I would be uh, a plantable field for things that would give life to grow beautiful that's yeah. lovely and you're a male and used to plant reference that's really good <laughs> <laughs> doesn't happen often folks just saying thank you dan and justin for coming in and especially to dan for sharing a best of your life with us today mm. and justin for the sharing of your life that we'll have a next time really looking forward to hearing the other side of the story yeah. yeah. Stay tuned. The real story. Yeah. <laughs> uh, this has been Life Burst. You can catch up with us wherever you get your podcasts from. And of course, on YouTube and Facebook. I'm Sarah. And uh, we should say a shout out too to our viewers on Channel 44 in Adelaide as well. Thank you so much for joining us today. Do the thing. Do the thing. They're going to do the thing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Life Bursts is hosted by Matthew Karat and Sarah Freeman with production by Reese Jarrett and Kay Hoshra Ozadigan. For more episodes of Life Bursts, go to rawcut.com.au. This is a Rawcut production.